0: And welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about
1: books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And today we are finally wrapping up the Folk of the Air series by Holly Black, Um, We're reading Queen of Nothing. We finally find out what happens to Jude and Carden, and we see everything that unfolds after Jude was banished to the mortal world. All right. So for our small
0: talk and call to action at the top of the episode, um, I want to talk about something that's been bothering me for a while. Um, So... JK Rowling is a fucking turf and I'm tired of her having the monopoly on the letters J and K anywhere near fantasy. And this has happened to such a degree that some people wrongly assume that the
1: name of our podcast comes from her as if, has this happened to you when you've told people about our show? Yes. I think a few people have said, Oh, is it related to Harry Potter? And I have to say, no, no, it's not.
0: (laughs) No, it's like literally our initials. Hence the podcast artwork. We tried to make it obvious, but anyway, um, so thinking of podcast names is hard. <laughs> Lol. Anyway, if you want some trans affirming, anti racist, anti colonial, intersectional feminist J K posts on your timelines, give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram. Jesse runs both of those platforms. After I failed at running Instagram, you <laughs> didn't by fail. Not <laughs> <laughs> I'm on there sometimes, you know. I drop in, yeah. But anyway, give us a follow. Fuck turfs. And if you can, donate to the Okra Project, a collective that provides home-cooked meals and resources to Black, trans, and gender-nonconforming people experiencing food insecurity. So that's something material that you can support right now.
1: Initial reactions. Let's hear it. I wasn't really sure where we were, what was going to happen in this book, and I was a bit nervous, but I really enjoyed it. I read this book as soon as it came out so we're podcasting recording this episode in July which means I read this book all the way back in November and then I re-listened to the audiobook as we prepared for this episode. I really enjoyed how the story got all wrapped up and I would really like to be Grimma Mog when I grow up if at all possible please. You are so totally on your way to being, <laughs> being Grimma Mog. <laughs> no doubt
0: you are you're just like well on your way. Thank you. Living your best life. I try. Just, are you a red cap? I think maybe we figured it out.
1: Maybe. I mean, I don't really want to be associated with Matic, but I'll take it, you know. <laughs> it's more just like her,
0: I don't know, attitude that she projects. Anyway, I love this series and I'm glad I re because even though it has only been a few months, those were pandemic and end of PhD program months for me, so it might as well have been like... I mean, time is made up anyway. So a year, who knows? (laughs) But anyway, I was glad to be back in this world. And Holly Black writes such immersive fantasy and nuanced characters. I agree with you. I enjoyed how everything was kind of tied up pretty neatly in a bow that was relatively satisfactory, you know, as a reader. Well, very, I would say. I I liked the book. I don't know how, but I completely forgot that Carden turns into a snake.
1: I think I forgot it as well. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Carden turns into a fucking snake. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I forgot how I like, how did I forget about that? I don't know.
0: Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. We spend about the first quarter, third maybe of the story in the mortal world which was a bit of a change the other two books were took place mostly in fairy since that's where jude grew up and at this point there's not a lot of world building as in like creating new scene new settings or anything like that it's more just continuing to weave the characters and setting of fairy together to conclude the story but i thought it was like well maintained and
1: yeah did you enjoy the time that was spent in the mortal world I liked when she, when Jude was fighting
0: Grima Mog because I like Grima Mog.
1: <laughs> I thought it was an odd choice to spend so much time in the mortal world. I know it makes sense because Jude is in exile, but for me, I was just like, oh, I just want to go back to Faerie because like the mortal world is so boring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like I'm waiting for the real plot action to get going you know yeah
1: and it doesn't really feel like anything really starts to happen. like there's a the big you know fight with Grima Mog, which was really exciting but other than that I'm like the story doesn't really start till we get back to Elfheim so like when am I gonna get there <laughs> <laughs> agreed I just wanted to see Cardin again <clears throat> love him Jude is so forgiving I kind of forgot about this until I was re-listening to the book but I still hate Taryn even after reading this book and I am so shocked at Jude's capacity for forgiveness because she does not seem like the type of person to forgive easily or to like get over something like that maybe there's some kind of weird connection between the two of them because they're twins but I was just like can Taryn please fuck off like she is the worst (laughs)
0: I kind of forgave Taryn after she stabbed Locke in the throat with a letter opener so that he would like quote finally shut up or something
1: like that. I don't know. I liked that part. I thought that was cool. I mean, it's cool that she tried to kill him. I mean, she did kill him, not tried. She succeeded, but I'm just
0: She did, successfully. But she
1: also almost got her sister killed, so I'm just like, come on, Jude, like you can't yeah. forgive that so fast.
0: I don't know where I stand on it. I think that maybe it's the sister connection. Yeah, Jude was... I think she, part of it was because she's so desperate to get back to... For any excuse to get back to Elfheim.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Another bite at the ever apple. You know, they say that at one point.
1: Yeah, neither of us have sisters. So get, I guess maybe there's like something there that I don't understand. <laughs> and neither of us have twins. No, not that I know of. <laughs> Let's discuss all things magic. This book is full of prophecies, curse crowns. As we said before, Cardin turns into a giant snake. There's just so many things going on. I feel like they should have known something was up with that prophecy before. Like, that seemed pretty obvious to me. The curse crown was not expecting that. Cardin turning into a snake for most of the book was not expecting that. And a little disappointed that we didn't get to spend more time with Carden in this book.
0: (laughs) The fucking snake. Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot it. (laughs) I really enjoyed how many different kinds of magic were in the book, like you're describing. I don't know. I just, like, repeated what you said, but less specifically.
1: (laughs) You said it. You said it. it. Uh, Also, that magic arrow that's, like, like, in the body of the queen of the sea or whatever... Like, that was kind of cool. I really liked that part, actually. That was cool magic.
0: That was cool.
1: Like, way to go for your enemies. I liked that. I guess you're right. I probably am a red cap because I'm like, everything Matic does makes so much sense. And, like, I get it. It's just
0: battle strategy.
1: <laughs> Maybe I would be, like, particularly good at, like, you know, military things. <laughs> probably. I wouldn't do it.
0: <laughs> no. I guess another thing that we can talk about with magic is that the the land chooses Jude as High Queen, and that seemed kind of more like her coronation. I don't know. That seemed like a more important event than her coronation would have been, you know?
1: Well, and it's also the moment that she gets it to, to reveal to Taryn, who has no idea at the, at the time that she had married Cardin and she was technically the queen of Elfheim. So it was also a cool scene to see, like, her telling Taryn about this I really like the scenes that follow it where she goes you know she goes back and everyone is like having to bow to her and stuff and they are not happy about having humanist queen
0: no they aren't to have the the quote-unquote natural order of things be upset
1: especially Carden's mom I was actually like really happy that his mom was so unhappy <laughs> like she's like refusing to get out of bed and like bend the knee and I'm like yeah fuck you <laughs> I did like get some
0: serious Daenerys vibes Mm -hmm. you know from Jude she just knows how to play it play the game and yeah I, I think Daenerys is such a great character so
1: I like that yeah and Jude didn't get ruined in the end so no she
0: didn't yeah there was no incest in the end so that's good
1: Okay, I meant the part where they, like, made her out to be, like, an emotionally unstable queen because she's, like, can't handle herself, like, as a woman Wow, or I took that a
0: totally different direction. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what does that say about me? I have some I don't, puritanical I, stuff internalized or whatever. I don't even know.
1: Whatever you choose, I just thought that they took the Daenerys in a very different direction than the story hinted at.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. That was some patriarchal
1: bullshit yeah. for sure. Yeah.
0: They're basically like, yeah, she's too hysterical, and then she goes and burns down an entire whatever.
1: Yeah. No thank you.
0: <laughs> That's a pretty good segue to the to the villain section. Now we're gonna talk about conflict villains and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. Matic question mark? I kind of forget why we're mad at him, but I know he's the worst. But Judah's forgiven him for that in the past. The first time she met him, he literally stabbed her parents in front of her and killed them and then kidnapped them and took them to a magic world. They have a lot of history, so it's, it's, not, like, it's not very clear here.
1: Yeah, I had trouble with the thinking about like the villainy of this book because I know technically it's Maddox, there were no notes in here. I know. <laughs> yeah, I read all the notes. I'm so sorry. I guess I just, like, Maddox is obviously, like, the big bad in this story, but at the same time, like, there's so many things going on with, like, the cursed crown, so I guess kind of the Barry that cursed the crown, whose name ha- is escaping me at the moment, like, he's kind of a villain. Grimson. Grimson, yeah. Like, he's kind of a a villain, I guess, because he created the crown that turned... Carden into a snake but at the same time that's the only reason that like Carden fulfills that prophecy so yeah i mean I s- and then Carden gets to kill him in the end yes i mean i still hate madoc but yeah i don't know this segues kind of into my next comment
0: like the line isn't very clear or like available at all mm-hmm. really to see because correct me if i'm wrong but it Jude is either toning back the lethality of her tactics or I'm just desensitized at this point in the series. And I expect it from her character.
1: Yeah. I don't know. That's a hard one because I would say like, I was really surprised at the very end when Jude lets Maddox live. Mm. And I feel like at the very end of the novel, when she is like handing out punishment for the traitors, I was surprised at some of her decisions I do think that shows that she's maybe she's not like taking the most violent tactics necessary like possible in order to, you know, do whatever she needs to do. And maybe part of that is her becoming queen and feeling like she needs to set a good example for like the people of Elfheim or something. Maybe show them that humans can be good. But I I felt a little conflicted about that.
0: I think you're completely right. And that it's kind of a combination of the two, right? Because there's not that big a difference between the tactics Jude is willing to do and Maddox is willing to do. But at the same time, like her approach to justice at the end and accountability at the end is different than I think what we would expect from someone else
1: like Maddox. Well, and I think she sees that in herself. She is like concerned about becoming Maddox by the end of the story. And so she kind of wants to go down a different path I mean she's willing to kill Carden to like protect the people of Elfame, and I think that being Queen of Elfame and protecting the people becomes so much more important to her than getting her revenge.
0: Yeah, and it's more than just like being power hungry, I guess, then at that point. It's it's like a different it's like a power with rather than a power over, you know? Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> Onward, magical listeners. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, and gender, this is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate.
0: We're starting with race.
1: Yes. Okay, so I have to talk about Heather. I'm not sure I realized before that she was a person of color. I look back at the past episode script and see that we didn't mention it, so I don't think I did. But Holly Black writes her character using AAVE in the beginning of the book. Heather says things like trippin' and "kicking it on page 31 and 32. And I'm not really happy about this, like, at all. If you're a white author, please do not have black characters using AAVE as a way to tell the audience that the character is black. I looked at the pages following these, and Heather is definitely described as having brown skin, so she is at least meant to be POC. It comes off as both forced, does anyone really say those things anymore, as well as racist. And there's a line alluding to the fact that Heather faces all kinds of racism, although it does it, it isn't named as racism within the text on a day-to-day basis. But the book doesn't go into any of those things. Maybe we'll get a book from Vivi's perspective in the future, and Holly Black is trying to set that up. But I'm afraid to see what her writing of a Black character as part of a whole book would even look like. So I was really frustrated when thinking about race and Heather in particular in this series.
0: I'm really glad that you brought this up because it does come across as like a tokenizing almost mm-hmm. because the only character, like the really human-human character as in like doesn't fit into this power differential very well like doesn't know anything about fairy like knowledge is power you know Jude, Taryn, Vivi all of these people have knowledge of fairy and or like different kinds of power you know that Mm -hmm. Heather doesn't have so like Heather also experiences like a different kind of discrimination you know when she's in fairy too yeah, it's not like a substantive development of a character of color.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's it seems like particularly bad when you think about the fact that Bibby was controlling Heather the first time that she took her to Elfheim, like making sure she didn't see what was really going on. So like keeping her in the dark about things like, I don't know, it was really frustrating. And I know that Holly Black has a black son, so... I sometimes think that people when they're like in proximity to blackness in that way think that it's okay for them to do these kinds of things but to me it was really like patronizing Mm -hmm. I don't know I just I I felt really like weird about it as soon as I saw like Heather saying tripping and kicking it I was just like first of all it's 2020 I don't think people are saying that anymore (laughs) (laughs) second of all like when you think about things like code switching and stuff like I don't I'm not even sure Heather yeah. would say those things to a to a white person. So I don't know. It was just that's really, a really good
0: point. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially
1: when she doesn't know very well. Like she doesn't really know Jude that well, like well enough to like feel comfortable around her. I would think. So I don't know. I just I did not appreciate it. Yeah, that's all my thoughts on that. <laughs> Do you want to talk about
0: class? Sure. Something I thought that was kind of refreshing is that there was actual talk about the need to make money to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Rent is such a fucking scam. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before.
1: No, I don't think so. We can include
0: some. Um, I'm not sure who's editing this one. Probably me. It
1: is you. <laughs> 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 There's actually a really good episode of Patriot Act talking about rent forgiveness and like all of the things that go along with that. Like how difficult it is based on like how we get taxes for like schools and roads and all that sort of thing, which I found really interesting because I think it's a side of the story that we don't often hear about when we talk about things like rent forgiveness, about how maybe making money off of property taxes isn't the best way to fund our schools. Anything? And road- yeah, <laughs> Exactly. I thought it was a really good episode there's also a John Oliver episode that I think didn't didn't do as good of a job of going over like the nuances behind rent forgiveness and what that means and like what the money actually goes to but both of those Mm -hmm. I think are good resources for more information if you just like want a quick dirty explanation of rent forgiveness and which I think is really prescient like right now
0: totally because it's not like rent has been canceled the clock on evictions has been like restarted and or they're already happening we can i'll look up some things closer to when this is released and um, make sure i'm putting up-to-date information in the show notes
1: yeah because i think there's actually a website you can go to to find out like i know in a lot of states there have been policies to make sure people didn't get evicted if they couldn't pay their rent but it doesn't actually include all rental properties which i thought was really interesting because we like hear about these issues and think it applies to everyone but it doesn't I think uh, it only is included on, peop- on like, places that have federally backed mortgages, which m- might not include your landlord, you know. But yeah, rent is a scam, and it's, like, the literal worst. Fucking scam. Yeah. I listen to
0: a good podcast called Rebel Steps that goes through, like, actionable, you know, items like tactics mm-hmm. and the hosts do it themselves and or interview people who are involved in this sort of organizing. And they did a really good episode about a rent strikes. Okay, cool. So that's, you know, important to educate ourselves on that. Yeah. And then I realized that, so back to like the fantasy book that we were talking about before. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, like, then I realized that Jude is like, Doing the taking part in this rent sham as like, like out of pride or something. Because he's like, we could literally take over a barn and I can bewitch us some pieces of dirt to look like money or whatever, right. and then we can just like take advantage of this. Because like literally everything is like the system is all made up and people's in power. Like oh my god, like why? Yeah, Jude, Yeah. you have at your disposal the means like not to have to participate like that
1: yeah like if i could pretend to pay my rent and not actually pay it like i would 100 percent do that
0: uh yeah totally i mean i understand why her character does it chip on her shoulder etc etc craves the violence wants to be like in a fight or whatever
1: well and I think also she has like this really weird thing about the fairies tricking humans because like the fairies are the ones who have the power so I think she feels like it's like very dishonest to do that and I'm just like you can be dishonest sometimes like sometimes life requires it so like just in this one instance so you and your family can live comfortably like maybe just lie
0: yeah desperate circumstances create acts of desperation
1: right yeah I didn't get that either, but yeah, interesting. All right, let's talk about gender. So I think this is a bit for gender and a bit for bodies, but Taryn has all the options honestly laid out for her for what she can do about her pregnancy and has allowed the space to choose from any of them with no judgment whatsoever. And I really think that's the way that it should be. I don't like Taryn. I don't really care about her baby, but (laughs) I think it's really wonderful that she's just like given all these options given them honestly and like no judgment from her sisters about whatever she chooses to do and I thought that was really cool and I'm really glad it was included
0: 100% agree I had to put in here again that I love Grima Mog five ever
1: yeah she's really great also because like she's like an old lady like I hope I'm like that when I'm an old lady like super fierce and strong
0: I just love a spinster character. I think they're underrated. Like, I have so many powerful older women that I know. They don't really get much uh, representation or, or, um, yeah,
1: recognition. Probably part of that is because I think as you get older, you start to care less about what other people think and what society tells you. So, like, if you're a spinster, you literally, like, give zero fucks and you're just, like, living your best life and there are n- mm. no consequences. And society does not want us to know that we could just live our lives however we want no consequences they need those consequences in place they need us to buy more makeup and like all these clothes and need things which is fine if that's what you're interested in but like society shouldn't have to make us want those things so that's why I love a good spinster
0: oh yes you just explained it so well (laughs) the person who I have in mind my very dear friend Regina is a a fellow Spoonie and wonderful amazing human being but yeah she's 75 and she is embodying all of this I can't wait something else that came to mind for gender was a bit of toxic masculinity I say a bit more like a lot <laughs> on display with Locke he's just like the worst kind of fuck boy and tells Taryn she's like run out of story quote unquote or something like that yeah and it just, like, is so demeaning and belittling, and I'm not sad that she stabbed him in the throat.
1: No, he totally deserved it. I bet he was super hot, though. Like, otherwise, like, I don't even know how he got away with some of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like. That's probably why. Yeah. I'm picturing him as, like, um, <laughs> have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? No. <laughs> fantastic movie would recommend it's like three hours long so just prepare yourself but um he reminds me like when I picture Locke I picture like one of those like Wall Street stockbroker bros you know with like the slicked back hair (laughs) and stuff like that's how I imagine Locke (laughs) but like a fairy version yeah like a frat bro Wall Street fairy that's what Locke looks like in my mind and he's just like (laughs) the worst person imaginable Like, he would definitely be selling people subprime loans. (laughs) (laughs) Totally.
0: During COVID. Yeah,
1: during COVID. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm glad he's dead. Fuck that guy.
0: And I'm glad that we see Taryn's character, like, developing past desiring only that or desiring nothing more than to be desired by that kind of person.
1: Yeah, it's like a real moment of growth for her to, like, realize that, like, Just because you look nice on the outside does not mean anything about who you are as a person. Mm -mm. And that like
0: the courtly quote unquote ways that she was brought up in, you know, at one point Jude like makes a comparison between herself and Taryn and like Taryn chose the way of like basically like partying Mm -hmm. the path of desire, which is no less fraught or something like that than the path of the like weapons or Night shadows. Who who knows? Something poetic.
1: It's a different kind of battle to have to be like trying to work to be in those upper echelons of society, I guess, than to trying to you know secure the crown. <laughs> just a different terrain, just
0: a different uh, battlefield.
1: Yeah, I guess for Taryn, it's a lot more psychological. You know, I picture her as a mean girl, which is probably why I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about ability and and uh body minds okay what the hell is going on with queen sarah and queen of the court of teeth her parents have literally bridled her like a horse to the point where there are scars on her face and i had forgotten about this somehow before i re-listened to it but i like my mind was just like what the fuck like this is ridiculous like there's child abuse going on. Like, there's just so many things. That I was just like, I cannot believe this. Like, this is, this is wild. <laughs>
0: I'm really glad that you put that you brought this up because these were some of the hardest scenes. Like, this dynamic was the one that I thought was like the most violent and grotesque. Mm-hmm. Like, they are leashing their kid. It's like taking the baby leashes that you would wear at an amusement park or whatever to the <laughs> to the extreme. And then they also, something about like a bracelet also at another time, something
1: being sewn to her. Oh, I don't remember that. The crown was sewed to her head. Oh, oh, I don't even remember that part, but like so disturbing.
0: Yeah. I thought, so like that super well done on Black's part. Yes.
1: I guess there's a lot going on there because they're also like trying to get that weird necklace or whatever to like bind Jude to them, Saren's parents or whatever, like she's like lock yeah. of your hair or whatever and i'm just like oh my god they got some like control problems going on in the court of teeth and i think what i think surin is a changeling right oh i don't know i'm not sure
0: what i think was going on i don't i don't have to explain it like but what i think happened is the some of the courts wanted to get around their loyalty oaths and so they started turning their children into changelings, like abandoning them in the mortal world or some shit mm-hmm. for a while, and then bringing them back and enslaving them, and somehow like passing the crown over to them, and then skipping somehow that like circumvents the oath.
1: Oh, I see. I did not get that.
0: I remember in the exposition that that was explained just a little bit, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. I don't know too much about the fairy
1: lore, so yeah. I don't, change. If I just did like a quick Google search maybe yeah changelings did come up a lot in this story which makes me wonder if we're gonna get um stories from one of their points of view in the future I'm pretty sure that there are characters from in this book like side characters like very background characters who are in other books by Holly Black um so it wouldn't surprise me I guess if she took one of these characters and um wrote a story about them like a swapped child yeah a fairy had been left in place of a human child that was
0: stolen by the fairies. Like in Labyrinth. This is literally Wikipedia. So okay. we are going, I'm going to do some research. <laughs> I'm going to Ravenclaw this post record in the post prod. <laughs> Maybe I won't say Ravenclaw anymore. I'll research it in the post prod. It's supposedly a common theme that reflects concerns over, um, like ableist concerns oh. over people with disabilities.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. That Like makes infants sense.
0: that are born, you know. Yeah. Different.
1: That's really interesting. I also really like that Oak was, like, very concerned for her. I know he's, like, very young. He's, like, eight years old, which is, like, barely a blip on the age of, you know, the fairies. But he's very concerned about Queen Siren and he wants to help her in any way possible, which I do think shows that he's, like, growing up to probably be a decent... I wanted to say human being but like fairy (laughs) person person a decent person Being? how about just being yeah yeah a decent being I really appreciated seeing that because I sometimes I think I've me personally forget like how innocent children can be because I'm not around them very often but this was like that was really adorable ah so good so good
0: Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. So I know we talked about this in previous episodes of the, you know, other books in the series, but there's um, polyamory is more normalized in this world. Fairy doesn't have the same puritanical sexual politics that the mortal world does. So Taryn has firsthand knowledge of this with the court revels we hear about it a lot in the like Oriana was a consort at the same time that Carden's mom was a consort and so like there's it's just more normalized in fairy
1: yeah for sure which I think we see in like a lot of books with fairies in them I feel like Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting I'm like why do we need to put you know beings in a magical world to make this normal I don't know that's a good point yeah Maybe
0: because it seems like so impossible, but there's people who do it all the time.
1: Yeah. You also have Jude and Cardin are back together at the end and they are really together this time. It's funny because I was talking to someone who listened to the first episode and the second episode for Coral Prince and what's the second book called?
0: Uh, Wicked King. Wicked
1: King. And they were like, Jesse, you really changed like your feelings about Jude and Cardin really changed from book one to book two. But I just, like, love them so much by the end of this. And I'm, like, happy they're together. Yay! I'm really disappointed that I didn't get the... Like, Barnes & Noble had, like, a special edition with the letters that Jude was writing... Or, sorry, that Cardin was writing to Jude in the back of the book. And I'm really disappointed I didn't get that. Um Because, like, I want to know what he wrote to her. And somebody did send me what the letter said. So, <laughs> I do know at this point. But, um... I'm also a little frustrated that like there's a special edition that you have to get from one special like big name bookstore in order to see those letters. Like that's kind of shitty. Yeah.
0: From a massive chain. It's no. like really shitty. Yeah. Like I know why people do that. Like the promotional material, mm-hmm. um, like no shade to the authors or whatever. Yeah. But ugh, that does suck. I wish
1: they would sell it from like indie authors as well, to like indie bookstores. We'll just have to go on AO3 and find some fanfic. Yeah.
0: Fanfic. Jude and Carden are definitely OTP for me. Their chemistry is just so good. They're, de- I don't know, they're just like so, the attraction is so palpable and well-written, I think. They both like work well together and at the same time are a, like a catastrophe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and they all they all have a lot of baggage. So the relationship takes on this like visceral dimension. You know, it's like actually feels like a subs- substantive relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if Fairy has therapy, I think they should check it out. I think everyone
1: in Fairy might need therapy. <laughs> um, speaking of needing therapy, Vivian, Heather. Oof.
0: So I'm going to start off by saying that I appreciate the queer representation. And we should acknowledge that the relationship dynamics are pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. Jesse, you talked about this earlier with Heather being, like, enchanted by Vivi without her consent. And this, like, we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast about consent and magic, and maybe that would be worth, I don't know, thinking through more thoroughly. But um, I appreciated that I don't know, the power differential between Vivi, who is a fairy, and Heather, who is, like, a noob human, not, like, a Jude human, mm-hmm. like, that that's explored and that the process of repair is shown throughout and that there's, like, a, it's not just, like, they had a conversation, and then it was over. It's like multiple things going on. I think it's also important to talk about resolving conflict and addressing abuse in queer relationships too, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't get talked about very often,
1: yeah, and I think Holly Black did a like wow, I'm not very happy with the writing of Heather as a characterization. I do think Holly Black did a really good job of like um shoring up the relationship between Vivi and Heather by saying like vivie is going to make heather forget everything she knows and like have to win her back but be honest this time there's no way for heather to hold Vivi accountable to that except to trust her like before she even like moves into that step of forgetting um and i thought that was mm-hmm. an interesting way to deal with that and while i'm hesitant to say i want a book from Vivi and heather's perspective i am interested to see what happens with the two of them Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I just want to mention that I loved the bomb and the roaches, like, little deathbed. Like, not really, but love profession.
1: Like, oh, crying emoji. So cute. Loved it. It's funny because I was like, this feels so contrived to me. I did not. I was like, I don't care about the two of them enough to have this scene. (laughs) So I guess we just felt very differently about it. We did. We did. You know, I love an HEA. Right, I want an HEA but I'm also just like we don't get to know those characters well enough that I felt like it was deserved yet so I was just kind of like they just need their whole own story like there's a lot of backstory there and maybe there's more of them in different books of Holly Blacks I don't know um but I was just like uh like it just was very sappy to me and I was just like no thank you I just
0: know that they were like
1: both tortured together yeah yeah
0: (laughs) and whatever so they deserve happiness too okay sure 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 but yeah fair fair point
1: okay so this book had a fadeaway, as did other books and I just want to say that like while I understand this book is written for young adults and I am an adult reading these books when fadeaways happen we do not know what's happening like I thought Jude and Carden had already had sex and in this book they made it seem like it was the first time they were having sex so I think that there needs to be like if you don't want to have depictions of sex in your book I think that's 100 percent fine like i totally understand that Mm -hmm. it reaches a wider range of readers and like you know parents feel more comfortable depending on the age reading the book although the book is super violent so you might not want to give it to a young kid anyways and there's a lot of like i don't know there's a lot of
0: while there aren't like erotic scenes like you would find in akatar or um whatever what is it Mm akamath there is a lot of like explicit talk about like desire Mm -hmm. and like the power that goes into like desire
1: and sexual dynamics and stuff like that
0: so I don't know
1: yeah I just want it to be clear whether or not characters have had sex because I totally thought we got that in like book two or book one I don't remember which one but I thought when we found out about Carden's tale (laughs) I thought Jude and Carden had sex then (laughs) so I was very confused this time when it seemed like Jude is talking about like the pain of her first time or whatever. And I was just like, wait, what? Like I was very confused.
0: Yeah. I do think the lead up to that
1: was well handled
0: regarding consent Mm -hmm. specifically. Cause do you remember that like Jude at at one point they're like making out or whatever. And Jude doesn't say anything, but chart, but card, charted, (laughs) Cardin. garden senses like her change in demeanor and attitude attitude and like into i guess and stops immediately yeah it's like such an excellent example none of this like fucking bullshit about didn't like protest enough or any anything like that i really think that it's important to have those sorts of examples of mabs. you know not Like, sexually
1: assaulting people. Yeah. Well, and it's good, too, because, like, we see from this that, like, there needs to be clear and enthusiastic consent. Like, not just, like, not saying anything is not yes. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. We get very little interaction between Jude and Cardin in the book where they are actually on good terms. And that was super frustrating to me. In the first book, they're at odds. In the second book, Jude is controlling Cardin, And in this book, we hardly see any interaction at all. I was kind of disappointed. I wanted to see more of what they are like when they both realize that they love each other and like each other. I want to see how they interact with each other. It may be time to look for some Jude Cardin fan fiction yes please send it my way if you have any suggestions i really feel like we missed out on like key components of their relationship yeah we don't get to see so many
0: of the moments that you that you look forward to you know when your otp finally gets together
1: well and it's just so long of like will they won't they like you know basically three whole books for like one fade away sex scene like i'm just like i really wanted way more than that you know
0: Mm mm-hmm or maybe, like, a really great epilogue or something.
1: Yeah. Like, even the, the epilogue was good. Like, I liked seeing Cardin in the mortal world. Like, that's super interesting to me. And I just imagine him as, like, the hottest of hot, like, punk rock emo guys. Yes.
0: I knew you were going to yeah. say that. I knew you were going to. I totally, the same <laughs> thing. With the makeup, oh, the eyeliner. Yeah.
1: And, like, tight pants. Yeah. And We have a type, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just really wanted to see more of them together. <laughs> yeah. My longing for emo punk rock guys aside, <laughs> I just wanted more of that.
0: Seconded. One thing that I consistently appreciate about Holly Black's writing and I mean I think this series is the only one of hers that I've read actually. Um I like how she takes a second here and there to include like body Slash material slash IRL concerns that go mostly ignored in YA like there's talk about menstruation body odor needing to like wash your armpits or whatever and like eat drink bathe pee etc it's a and I saw that you posted something on Twitter today about like responding to a poll of if you and your beloved were in a fantasy world and like what was it about? It was about poop.
1: Yeah. Like what, would you talk about poop? And I'm like, Oh my God, I have irritable bowel disease, like a form of irritable bowel disease. Like I could not live my life with someone who was going to be afraid of me talking about poop. Like there's a lot of poop talk in my house. Like it's just the reality of my existence.
0: <laughs> yep yep same here but other
1: people were like i would like to see it talked about more because like it normalizes it but one of the options on that little poll um and it was talia hibbert who wrote get a Life," chloe brown um Mm. one of the options were like intestines do not exist and i'm like i also wish that were true
0: (laughs) (laughs) agreed wishful thinking it's fiction so yeah
1: no intestines needed (laughs)
0: I'm like a nerd so I love the classic Celtic or whatever fairy lore and poems that are woven throughout the series. They
1: introduce the different parts I think. Yeah like the books quote-unquote books. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. I it shows attention to detail and i think add
1: you know i love paratext like this is not new i also really like that the book include like at those parts it has like these little like sketches almost which are like super adorable and i just want to color in the pages of my book i probably will not but maybe i should because like it's mine and who cares
0: especially like colored pencil wouldn't bleed through or anything yeah and
1: i have a ton of those so yeah maybe i'll do it it's just so cute
0: (laughs) We discussed this before, but it bears repeating. Describe everyone's skin color, for fuck's sake. The roach got described. They have green skin.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, like, Jude and Taryn, I think we talked about this in a different episode, where the ones that we were, like, most wondering about, because they have, like, a, like their last name is Duarte.
0: Duarte, uh uh-huh. And
1: so I'm like, I don't know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> not that it's like not that we even cared yeah well not that i care but i'm like how how does representation fit into this book like right if you're not describing am i supposed to assume that they're white and like why is that the default so i would just like also the mortal skin color to be described and not just heather's because she's brown (laughs) you know (laughs) And maybe like they do talk about Jude and Taryn, and I missed it. That's hundred percent possible because I assume totally, yeah, me since too. Since Holly Black is white, that the, they are white, and so that is my default systems of oppression, y'all. Like it sucks. And finally, I think this is a
0: sweet note to kind of wrap up the episode on ear smiling (laughs) because I'm sentiment it's I'm not so sentimental but anyway I'll actually just say it you are so sentimental okay (laughs) Holly Black dedicated Queen of Nothing to Lee Bardugo and I just want to say friendship is the best and I love you I love you too
1: friendship is the best yes it's recorded (laughs) but I do have to say caveat not to our friendship but to like Lee Bardugo's and Holly Black's I was like when I saw that I was like I had a major eye roll moment <laughs> because I'm oh like, my God. why are you dedicating to your book to like the super prominent other famous white author? Like, come on. <laughs> like, I don't, d- it's fine because they're probably friends in real life and like they met that way and like all those things. But I was just like, as two of the most prominent authors in YA fantasy, like you might as well have dedicated this book to Sarah J. Mass, like for all that this means <laughs> to me <laughs> as a like reader. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I was just like, "Why are you dedicating this to like another author?" Like that's it seemed weird to me.
0: Uh, I think they're friends. I know. Like they're re- they're really good friends, and they like read each other's shit and have been for years. Yeah,
1: and I think that's totally fine. But for me, I was just like, "Oh, like you couldn't dedicate it to like your fan readers or like I don't know." It's fine, and it's Holly Black's choice. I just had a huge eye roll moment when I saw this. I was just like, "Really, <laughs> really." <laughs> And maybe it's because we don't see this that often. Like, I usually see this in, like, the thank yous at the back, like, the acknowledgements where they'll think, like... Yeah, why do friends have to
0: fucking wait for the acknowledgements at the end? That is bullshit. Because that's where acknowledgements go. <laughs> well, but, like, I don't know if... It, it is totally normalized to, like, dedicate things to either your children or your spouse.
1: Yeah. I see friends sometimes. parents, I yeah. guess if i ever write a book i'm thanking Lainey and nobody else i'm so sorry i <laughs> heard it heard it here first <laughs> when i write my first book and all subsequent books will be dedicated to Lainey for hanging out with me as i write my books <laughs> for deigning to
0: spend her precious existence in my proximity exactly
1: no i definitely think it's fine that holly black should definitely dedicate her books to whoever she wants to as a reader of both of these authors i just was like really and that's fine too <laughs> mm-hmm. recommend if you like
0: I'm curious what you think of my recommendations librarian book witch that's me. um I'd say if you're in if you like face in face hand, if you've read Akatar, Jude and Carden have chemistry that kind of reminded me of the OTP from that series agreed um, and then I would also say historical fiction with plot lines of romance and court intrigue. So I'm thinking like Philippa Gregory type books.
1: I've never read any of those books, so I can't speak to that, but I think those are probably good recommendations. I definitely agree with the Akatar one. Um, but I think historical fiction. Yeah. Too, for sure. Because for what, like anything about courts. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, Henry the and shit. Yeah. Like courtly politics, that sort of thing. I also, um, read these or if you liked the crown yeah mm-hmm. the crown is great so good
0: maybe we need recommend if you like to expand beyond the textual medium and be like if you liked watching this yeah that's a good idea you would like
1: this book you might like it if you liked um carnival row which had its own race issues that i have oh a lot of yeah. problems with, but also a fairy story kind of cyberpunky. um there was a series of books i read when I was younger so these books are old now and they're gonna like age me but the Wicked Lovely series by Melissa Marr is kind of like urban fantasy with fairies like it takes place in the real world um so those were pretty interesting if I remember correctly um would recommend those too if you like seeing Jude and like the fairies and stuff in the mortal world then I think you'll like those books excellent recommendations Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way? Or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend you hadn't before? I want to hear from you. When I was initially reading this book, I was also watching season three of The Crown. And there are some parallels between Cardin and the story The Crown tells the audience about Prince Charles. Um, Obviously, I don't know how much of The Crown is actually real and what isn't um but both have parents who didn't seem to care about them both of their families are more concerned about their um place that the families hold in society as the most important things all that is to say it seems like a very sad way to grow up um and parents are the worst and I say that as someone who loves like learning about the you know the British monarchy is like very interesting stories to me but at least the way the crown portrays queen elizabeth and her relationship with her child and you know um prince uh what's his name the duke of edinburgh whatever his name is her husband <laughs> like philip philip that's philip it, philip um like the way that they show those two treating charles like is no surprise about like maybe how his life turned out and like It was just really sad to watch that. Like you really feel for Charles, even as like a person who's like in the top tier echelons of society. Like I can't imagine growing up having those parents. Like it just seems really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And then we're seeing really laid out just basically a sustained neglect, emotional abuse.
1: Emotional and physical abuse, all kinds. Yeah,
0: we see, like, laid out as a lot of emotional and physical abuse over a sustained period of time. And I think it's just, like, important to talk about how, like, I think it's, it happens even in communities where there's a lot of concentrated privilege Mm -hmm. and wealth and power.
1: And maybe sometimes even to, like, a greater extent because, like, they're so controlling over, you know, appearances, like, in, in that situation in particular. But I'm guessing even in, like, books like this, like... Carden is only perceived as being a child of the crown so like there's just so much more pressure put on you I guess like for appearances sake which is not a good way to live your life
0: Mm, no
1: yeah so I really feel for Carden it was sad also watch the crown if you haven't it's very interesting like they live some wild lives (laughs) if even like a fraction of it is true it's wild did you have anything no? Okay.
0: Nothing from me. Thanks for listening to JK It's Magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Crier's War by Nina Varela. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. <coughs>
1: <Damn it. coughs> Kelly's got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we have a
0: joke in my house. Anytime anyone coughs, we
1: we yell COVID nineteen protocol. I mean it makes sense. We're we're making lots of coronavirus <laughs> jokes around here as well.
0: Sometimes we I hear mean... sneezes
1: from neighbors and we're like, oh my god, they have coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
0: where was I? Oh, Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at jkmagicpod. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading, and you can contact us via email at jkmagicpod at gmail.com.
1: You can subscribe to JK It's Magic on the podcast app of your choice, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. No turfs, though. If you're, able to support our labor fri- if you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can also support us monthly on Patreon, exchange for mini-sodes, bonus apps, swag, and much more. And you can now support the show by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page.
0: Until next time, stay magical. And masked, goddammit. talk about gender
1: hold on laney's like moving my mic
0: (laughs) does she have anything to say to the to the good people out here no but
1: i hope one day i can get her on on the microphone to meow (laughs)